First of all, um, I want to dedicate this in memory of um, Shalom Dov Bear. It's a deeply Hasidic name, Ben Yosef. This was a really close friend of Jake who was tragically killed in a car accident uh, two, two years ago. Um, he's actually your side, he's next Friday night. But today was the English anniversary of his death, and so Jake's been thinking about it. Kind of fits the Tzir Mishra. It's very painful to lose someone so early. So this, uh, this learning should be an ilui for his neshama. Um, at some point, if you guys remind me, that's a discussion. What, what does it mean, an ilui neshama? We're not going to do it tonight. But it's a very powerful idea. And I really do believe that, that it actually has an impact on the neshama, on, on the reality that that person is now, as we're doing this. Um, and I also want to dedicate this, uh, I have a really close friend um, who is undergoing a serious separation tomorrow. Bezrat Hashem, he should be healthy, he knows who he is. Um, didn't manage to get his full name. Um, I would ask, by the way, everybody, um, uh, you could just think of him as, uh, as Larry, um, just to have kavanah. He's having a double hernia operation tomorrow, you know, and uh, it should be healthy, it should be good. You know, if your tefillot are really good, then I'm going to hear he went for a run in the afternoon. That'll be good. But uh, should be. What do you do on the night after Yom HaShoah? I don't know if you guys saw this. There was a special exhibit this year. Every year um, around uh, Yom HaShoah, Yad Vashem creates a special exhibit. And this year, their exhibit, uh, their, the theme of... of, of of the museum was uh, the transport. I don't know if you saw that when you went to the museum. Um, the things that we described, one of the reasons that I spent a little more time by the cattle car. And uh, one of the stories that came out in the, uh, in, the, in the papers was the story of a scarf. I don't know if anybody here saw the scarf. Um, there was a woman who, with her daughter, was in a cattle car on the way to Belzec. Now, some of us went to Belzec. There are no known survivors now of Belzec. It was a perfected mass killing site. There was no camp, okay? And the way they ran it, I think there were three survivors who, who somehow survived or escaped. There were no actual survivors. <coughs> and this woman and her daughter had a sense of foreboding. They looked in the cattle car, they heard the things we described, and they realized they weren't going somewhere good. And they somehow managed, somebody in the car that they were in, a few of the young men managed to break open a few planks and push open the window and people began to climb and jump out when the train was slowing down. Now there's a, a guard tower on the top of sort of the rear cabooses, and the guards saw this and they started opening fire, right? And um, this woman's mother was killed. She, although she was hit, was not killed, and she managed to escape and hide, and she survived the war. And when the train pulled off, and she realized that she wasn't killed, but her mother had died. This was her last living relative. She crawled over to her, and her mother was wearing a scarf. And she pulled the scarf off her neck, and she kept it for her entire life. This was the only thing that she had of her mother. She didn't have a photograph. She didn't have any things, because they were all gone. And before she died, she donated it to Yad Vashem. Just a scarf, right? And you hear stories like this. Like, it's not enough that you want to kill every last Jew. Somebody jumps out of a moving train, an older woman, and you have to do everything you can to kill. So what's the feeling that you feel? You know? 
What's the feeling that you feel? Abba Kovner, who um, was one of the leaders of the Vilna Ghetto uprising, and eventually uh, escaped and uh, went to the forests, and he formed a partisan group. He was one of the famous Jewish partisan groups. Um, and he actually gave, he was one of the key witnesses giving testimony at Eichmann's trial, right? Because he did end up in the camps and whatever else happened to him, survived the war. Um, did something very controversial. When the war ended, and you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of, of survivors, refugees began to sort of traverse Europe looking for relatives, he formed a group, okay? And he named the group Nakam. What does that mean? Revenge. Revenge. They formed a group, and you can read this stuff online, I'm not gonna belabor it here. They went across Europe, Germany, Austria, places in Poland, and they hunted down Nazis. And they killed Nazis. No one knows exactly, because the men were sworn to secrecy, and he refused to divulge this information, as far as I know, most of it, until he died. What do you do with that? It's not a typical Jewish response. On the one hand, if you were walking down the street and you saw a fellow and you absolutely knew that this fellow, somehow you absolutely knew that this fellow was one of the butchers of, and you didn't think that he would be brought to justice and you had a pistol, would you pull it out and shoot him? I imagine most of us would say yes, right? Judaism has something else to say on the topic. And what am I referring to, right? Acharemot Kedoshim. It's coming up next week. But we're not going to have a Parsha Shir next week because it's Matzayam Atzmaut. Otikom Velotitor. This is a Parsha, this is a Pasuk in Kedoshim, right? I'm sorry, this week. This is actually a unique occurrence for me because I'm flying to New York tonight. I'm giving a shear in Kedoshim and then I'm going back to America to hear Parsha Acharemot again, right? And I'm going to miss Kedoshim and that's a whole interesting discussion, but not for now, right? So... So the Pasuk says, Lo How many mitzvot? Lo That's one mitzvah, right? Not a lot of hate. To give tochah, that's another mitzvah. You have to reprove, rebuke. And you shouldn't uh, make a mistake when you're doing this. What mitzvah is that? No? Not let embarrassed. And the next Pasuk, tor you're not allowed, right? Right? You're not supposed to do nakama, and you're not supposed to do natira. And we all know, because we've, we've reviewed this until we're ready to regurgitate it, you're actually now going to hear the source, that you can't take revenge and you can't bear a grudge. So what's the fundamental difference between taking a revenge and bearing a grudge? So Rashi quotes the Gemara in Yavamos. Okay? This is the Gemara in Yavamos. Right? It's um, sorry, Yoma, right? And Dafchav Gimel, right? And this is the Rashi. This is the thing that we've been talking about in Hilchodeir class, right? And it's interesting that Rashi doesn't talk about Vavtelecha Kamocha here. He talks really about Nakama and Natira, right? All right. Nope, I'm wrong. He does say one thing. But he, if, he, all he says on Vahafloyach HaKamoche, Kotcher Bekiva Zeklal Gadol Torah. We'll talk about that when we get to that mitzvah. Right? But he does talk 
about Loti Konvaloti Tor. And he quotes the Gemara, right? In Yoma and Daf Chav Gimel, 23rd folio. Amalo Ashileni Magalcha, Amalo Lav. A guy says, lend me your, your scythe, whatever your car. And he says, no. Lemachar Amalo Ashileni Kardumcha. So he says, okay, lend me your hoe, lend me your bicycle. Amalo Enima Shulcha Gedech Shloy Shaltani Zohi Nekima. Right? What we call Nekama. I'm not going to lend it to you because you didn't lend it to me. That's Nekama. Now that I do that. Okay? Fe'ezu'i Natira. What's Natira? What's bearing grudge? Amalo Ashileni Kardumcha, Amalo Lav, Lemachar Amalo Ashileni Magalcha. Right? You didn't lend it to me yesterday, and then I say, can you lend me something today? Amalo Hachlach. Here you go. Eini Kmotcha. Now you have it on tape. Shalom Yashaltani, because you didn't lend me, I'm not going to be like you. Zoe Natira, that's bearing a grudge. Shenoter ha'eva belibo. He's keeping the enmity in his mind, in his heart. Afal piche no no came, even though he's not no came. Now, let me ask you an interesting question. Let's think about this for a minute. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's the problem? First of all, if you don't lend me your car, why do I have to lend you mine? It's legitimate. Maybe I'm not allowed to hate you. Why do I have to lend you my car? Anybody want to answer that question? Anybody? Wow, look at that. Trick question. I don't have to lend you my car. Nakama isn't that I choose not to lend you my car. Nakama is if I don't lend you my car because you didn't lend me my car. But the question is, what's the problem with that? If you don't lend me your car and you don't have a good reason for it, which is what ticks me off, then maybe it's healthier for me not to lend you my car because you need to learn that that's unacceptable behavior. So I'm actually educating you. So why is that a problem? That's my first question, right? Second question, right? Let's look at Natira. Natira is even more difficult. I actually am lending you my car. I'm going to lend you my car even though you didn't lend me something yesterday. But when I lend you the car, I say to you, even though you didn't lend me the car yesterday, I'm going to do this. So, I understand. You're an educator. We're supposed to care about our fellow... Like, it's in... It's right... I would want you... I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you a message. I'm teaching you what's right. It's true. Right? It should split mountains. So what's the problem? Shai, are you with me? What's the problem with that? You didn't lend me something. You need to learn that that's not okay. By the way, what do you call it? Anybody know what you call that? It's interesting. What do you call it when... What's the problem here? By the way, it's interesting. The Rambam, the Rambam, of course, in... Hilchodeo. Where would you look in Hilchodeo to find this, by the way? Why? Because it's the 10th and 11th of the 11th mitzvot, right? In fact, this is the last two halachot in Hilchodeo. And since every year we get to this at the end of Zman, and I don't have time to treat it, I decided this year I'm going to have a little chance to talk to you about it. This is Perak Zayin Halach of Avon Zayin. Kol Eloheim Balil, sorry. And he basically quotes the same Gemara and Yoma, the same Rashi, so I'm not going to repeat it. 
right? Somebody who bears a grudge. But now it gets interesting, right? Why shouldn't I bear a grudge? There are two possibilities. One possibility is there's something inherently wrong with bearing a grudge. That's not what the Rambam says. Listen to what the Rambam says, right? Right? Uh, I'm going to lend it to you not like you who didn't lend me yesterday I'm not going to do what you did you're not allowed to bear a grudge you have to erase it from your mind you have to forget about the fact that he didn't lend something to you you're not allowed to bear the grudge that's a powerful one. The Rambam says that Lotikom and Lotitor, even though they are two separate mitzvot, are connected to each other. The reason the Torah doesn't want me to bear a grudge is because if you bear a grudge, you're eventually going to come to take revenge. In other words, bearing a grudge is not as bad as taking revenge. Rashi doesn't say that. The Gemara doesn't even say that. So it's interesting. What's the difference between those two approaches? So I want to share with you a very simple idea. There was a fellow, right, by the name of Joseph Fletcher. He was a professor. He lived from like 1905. I think he died in the 1990s. You can look him up. And um, he taught, uh, he actually ended up in Cincinnati and he gave a class on social ethics at the University of Cincinnati, the, the Hebrew Union College in Cincinnati, which is the campus where the reform movement began in America. Um, although it's actually now closing. That's a whole interesting discussion for another time. And um, he, I don't know if he created it or he's famous for it, but he created something. He wrote a book um, called The New Morality, which was published in the 1960s. And he created this concept called, called um, situation ethics. And what he basically suggests is that ethics depend on the situation you're in, right? For example, to take revenge, right, might be a terrible thing. But if you're Abba Kovner, and you find the person who you watched butcher children, and you don't believe he's ever going to be brought to justice. By the way, Lima Freya, I don't know at the time how a person could know that, but in retrospect, where there's like a number of Nazis finally being persecuted today, it would be safe to say, you know, I wonder if the reason we're experiencing global warming is because just like all the Holocaust survivors are starting to die off, all the Nazis are dying in their beds. And they're going to hell, so the fires are getting too hot, you know? But they didn't get prosecuted. Justice was not done. Do you remember the discussion we had about the fact that when the Jews, that when the Jews left Egypt, right? when the Jews left Egypt, they had to... And we said that that's not so the Jews could be wealthy. It's because they needed to be paid wages because justice had to be done. The world had to learn that what's wrong needs to be made right. So Fletcher would say... That in that situation, that context, revenge could be right. Right? Situation ethics means whether something's right, there's only one objective morality. He's a Christian. You want to guess what it is? The only one thing that's always good is love. Right? Love is always good. Right? But how you get there, right, um, it depends on the situation you're in. In fact, he suggests that what you have to do is to ask what is the most loving thing to do? And if the most loving thing to do is what might be wrong in other contexts, right? Okay? So, so and, and love is godly. And the ultimate question is, do we follow law or do we follow love? Without getting too... Hmm? His definition of love is, is 
hundred percent, but we, we don't have time. We're not going to go there. Yeah. I, I was just about to say, so the Christian version of love is very different from what we've been talking about in Rambam, but nonetheless, Judaism says something differently. Now, I want you to hear this well. Because of all the lessons, of all the pieces that you can walk away with from this day, on Yom HaShoah, Motzei Yom HaShoah, it would be this. Ethics cannot depend on a situation. Ethics cannot depend on what the other person does. If the reason that you lend him a car is dependent on whether he lent you a car, then your ethics are dependent. Then you're doing something because. Judaism doesn't believe. Judaism suggests that right is right because it's objectively right. Right? It's not an accident that Loti Konvaloti Tor appears in the same pasuk as Ve'ahavta Lorecha Kamocha. Most people interpret Ve'ahavta Lorecha Kamocha as you shall love your fellow. So just like if you were in an uncomfortable situation where you had to go ask someone for something when you didn't do it for him, you would want him to help you. So you too should help him. Right? There's a deeper way to understand that, which is you should love your fellow because it's a mitzvah to love your fellow human being, regardless of who he is. Even when someone does something terrible and you, have to, and, you, and you have to discipline him, you should still love him, right? If a person does something horrible and, I don't know, you have to ask him to leave yeshiva, you should love him before you ask him to leave. You should love him when you ask him to leave. You should love him after you ask him to leave. Because that's the mitzvah. for And your love for another human being is not dependent on what he does. It's dependent on the fact that Akash Baruch Hu created him. The reason, the reason we don't take revenge is because it's not a, it, because a person shouldn't be carrying that energy inside of him. It's an independent mitzvah. If the reason that you will, right, if I bear a grudge against someone, right, and it's all about what he's doing wrong, listen again, right? Sorry, what Rashi says. It's a powerful Russian, right? By the way, where's the first place, we have to finish, where's the first place that we find the concept of a person who one would expect to take revenge, not take revenge. Pardon? Where is Yaakov? Where do you think Yaakov's going to take... One second. Where do you think Yaakov's going to take revenge? Where do we experience that someone does something terrible to Yaakov? Yaakov maybe does something terrible to Esau. Pardon? Pardon? I'm going to go with Yosef. Not just because he's trying to bet, but I'm going to go with Yosef, right? Because in order to really understand this, think about the paradigm that the Gemara creates, that Rashi quotes, that the Rambam quotes. You're in the situation that you were in before. If you didn't, uh, you know, help me pick, take out the garbage, but the next day, you know, or, or, or the next day you want to borrow my pencil, I'm not thinking about the same situation. It's two different things. Taking out the garbage is one issue. And, Right? But if you didn't lend me your pen, and then the next day I wanna, you want to borrow mine, right? that's the exact same situation. Yaakov is not in the same situation. Yosef is in the exact... Yosef experiences a moment where he has a chance to do exactly what was done to him. His brothers sold him as a slave, threw him into a pit, and he has the chance to do exactly... He's in that moment. He can say to them, just like you didn't have mercy on me, I'm not going to have mercy on you. He can even say to them, even though you didn't have mercy on me, I'm going to have mercy on you. That's not what Yosef says. Listen to what Yosef says. This is why this is a safer Breshit, because these are the building blocks of human behavior. 
right? Geshuna Eli, come close. We're so far from each other. Vayigashu, and they come close to him. Vayomer Aniyo safe. Why does he have to come close? Because the whole point of what's about to happen is it's time to come back together. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. By the way, it's interesting. There's no halachic problem with me saying, right, that I'm upset that you didn't lend me your car. That could be an educational moment, but that has nothing to do with whether I lend you my car. I lend you my car if I can because it's a mitzvah, and I don't lend you if I can't. There's nothing to do with whether you lend me a car. Don't be upset. Don't be angry. It's not about me, it's not about you. What do you do when you're in a moment like that? How does a human being, and again, we can say this. I don't know that a human being is capable of rising to this level, but at least an ideal. So what do you do? You're in a moment, you're not in a moment where someone didn't lend you your car. You're in a moment where someone humiliated you. Someone taunted you at work and got you fired. And he bad-mouthed you on the internet. And then a year later, he shows up looking for work, and he doesn't realize you're the person interviewing him. And you have this enormous opportunity for payback. Right? How do you, how do you avoid, in that moment, practically, revenge and bearing a grudge? Very simple. One word. Love. Accuse. Accuse. Nope. One word. Who got you fired? <coughs> Who got you fired? Really? This guy fired you? Hashem didn't want you to get fired, but this guy fired you? If you lose your job, you were meant to lose your job. Why did Hashem cause me to lose my job? Why he's the vehicle for me losing my job, whether he needs to work on himself, that's his business. And maybe if I can give him tochacha in a way that he can hear it, and you can't give someone tochacha unless they're ready to hear it, in order for them ready to hear it, you have to have a relationship with him, we'll talk about that. And in order to have a relationship with him, you have to be close. How do you avoid that anger? Because a Kosh Baruch Hu sent this. Why did Hashem decide I shouldn't get your car yesterday? If you could really immerse yourself in that idea, there'd be no nakama, and there'd certainly be no nakama. <coughs> How could you bear a grudge against a guy when it's a kosh baruch So that doesn't mean that it absolves him as his responsibility, but that's between him and a kosh baruch It's not between him and you. And sometimes it might be that Hashem says, no, no, this is, you have a chance to give talk here. It is still within you. My ability, willingness, desire to do good for another has nothing to do with whether he's going to do good for me. Because Judaism believes in independent ethics. And I'll just finish this off, this idea, with one last thought. Which I saw today. Is Gav Buchold here? Is Gavi here? No? Okay. His grandfather sent me the most amazing piece today. Right? They asked the Kloisenberger Rebbe. Now it's on tape. So I can't send it to him. They asked the Kloisenberger Rebbe. Right? If there was anything that he missed... The Kloisenberger Rebbe was, um, uh, was a survivor. He lost 11 of his children. He had 11 children. All of them were murdered by the Nazis in the ghetto. He refused to sit shiva for any one of them. He said, how can I sit shiva for one child when thousands are being murdered? He set up an underground network with his contact, and he saved thousands of Jewish children, which he would later say was a drop in the bucket. 
And after the war, he survived. He came to Bedford-Stuyvesant. He remarried. They eventually came to Netanya. He built the Laniato Hospital. Amazing human being. Really worth reading about him on, on, on the internet. He's just amazing. So they asked him, is there anything from those dark days that you miss? He said, I miss one thing. He said, when we were taken on the death march, right? The famous death march is um, in, in January of 1945 from Auschwitz, tens of thousands marching through Europe in one of the coldest winters on record, minus 15 and 20 degrees, I mean, horrible stuff. You, you've read about it, some of you saw it today in the displays. He said, we walked, we were shaved, we were bare, we had nothing on our heads, we had no beards. You didn't know who was the Rebbe, who was the Hasid. You didn't know who was religious and who was secular. You didn't know who was right and who was left. We just huddled together for warmth, held each other, supported each other, to try to help each other get to the end of the journey. There was no, we were just Jews. I miss that. What a powerful idea. That's what this mitzvah is about. This mitzvah is about the idea that we're all human beings. We love each other. It doesn't matter if you're left or right or with a kippah, without a kippah. You know, what you did beforehand, the pain for another human being, the care for another human being. And if we walk away from Yom HaShoah with one challenge, it's not about where was God, it's where are we? Do we become a little bit better? Does this make us a little more sensitive? Does understanding what it meant to them to get a piece of bread make us sort of a little healthier when we walk into the dining room there's only five pieces of schnitzel? <coughs> and so on and so forth. So there's a lot to think about. Prashat Kedoshim. A little bit of the end of Hilchodeot. Bezrat Hashem Yom HaShoah should be a vehicle for us to become a little bit better. I'm looking forward to an awesome Zmamati. Um, that's a little bit uh, to think about, about uh, 